is a disaster a podcast about disasters and the music that make us listen to i'm peter and i'm still not here with my co-host lee hey it's great to not be here with you peter you know i'm getting more and more used to it i used to be like i'm gonna miss sitting right across from him but now i'm like i don't have to, I don't have to see him i don't care yeah <laughs> humans are overrated i was thinking the other day i have not been in a crowd for a month uh-huh but it's, it was like four weeks since like last time would have been in class and I haven't I haven't seen a crowd in four weeks. <laughs> you know, there's some upsides to all this. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? We love people. We love people <laughs> and greater numbers, the better. Exactly. So we I think I got a big one uh, for multiple reasons, actually. And we, maybe we'll talk about that. We can talk about that up front and then I might move it to the end. We'll okay. see. Okay. Because first of all, I think it's, it's a big disaster, physically speaking. Also, one year. Hey, happy birthday. Lee. Happy birthday. Or yeah, we've been doing this for a year. I mean, go us. Okay, technically, I guess for the people listening, we have actually been recording for a year. Uh, when this episode comes out, that'll be like a year of advertising the podcast. Nice. <laughs> we started May 1st. So one year. Congratulations. Let's let's keep going. Let's do a I'm virtual hand, Zoom handshake on that one. Put her there, partner. I remember the the idea for it came from i was at value village with my son rolling through like the the used book aisle and yeah. i just kind of did one of those things where i just looked to the right and then there was this reader's digest great disasters book sitting on the shelf <laughs> and then i had like one of those like my eyes rolled back into my head and i like had this vision and then i just texted you i was like uh we're doing a podcast see you wednesday yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> and the rest kind of fell into place so that worked out well there you go housekeeping maybe we can get to like favorite episodes and stuff at the end sure if you're joining us and you're new here welcome thanks for joining us i Hello. hope you enjoy what you hear if you want to know the best way to help us out that's telling someone to listen to the podcast best thing you can do word of mouth so if you enjoy what you hear if you listen to the whole thing and you're like hey that was great Message someone and say, check out this sweet podcast. This is a disaster. The next best thing you can do is subscribe if you aren't already and leave a review wherever you listen. Those are super helpful. Yes. If you want to keep up with us on social media at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com and our patreon.com slash this disaster pod and uh one of the perks that you get is to sit in on a live stream of us recording an episode and there are a bunch of people doing that right now uh -huh. so you yourself could also join in on that adventure so fantastic yeah it's a real exclusive club it is yeah <laughs> and beyond that we also have a discord channel that you can just hang out generally if you want patron or not i mean if you're a patron then your name's a different color which kind of you know it's kind of a big deal that's cool but I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can see, you can find a link to that on our website. And shirts are incoming. Hey, shirts. The first batch that we're going to do, we're going to try and produce them on demand. So we've set up the shop on the website and you can go there and it says back order. So if you go there, order your, we, they're going to be black and white, men's and women's and a, a variety of sizes. Go there, pick your size, order it. And then we're going to take orders until the end of May and then they'll ship out about mid-June. So go and check that out. shop.thisdisasterpod.com. Maybe I'll do a bit of li a listener feedback before we get to the oh, disaster. I love these. So recently we got a request. I've been, I've been posting on the Instagram during this uh, time of isolation, asking people what they've been listening to and how, how they've been spending their time. And we got a request from I Look Cute Today. Mm. underscore under all of those yeah she's uh she's been a fan for a while yeah. interacting for a while We've so thanks for listening before. yeah yeah and she, so she requested a playlist from the experts quote unquote oh right and i took that to mean us i don't know if that was <laughs> no for, experts she might have just been like we'll have to do <laughs> could have been like waiting for waiting for drake to drop that mixtape thanks yeah. <laughs> fully yourself <laughs> 
So in response to that, I kind of did some thinking because we got nothing but time <laughs> and we decided that uh, we're going to be doing mixtapes and we already released our first one. So I think the last Saturday of every month, we'll be releasing a mixtape on various topics. This first one was called the Plague List mixtape. Appropriately <laughs> Get enough. Because yeah. we're all... So we did uh, five tracks each, side A, side B, one, one side for me, one side for you. Yep. I think that was pretty sweet. I still listen to it all the time. So thanks for go. putting your side together. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We'll be doing some other... I think there's a volume two coming from Nuclear Norm and Gary. So that'll be fun. Yeah. And we've already like... we've. We've like brainstormed mixtapes into like three years from now. So I think <laughs> those are going to keep coming. We're good. Yeah. So check those out. Those are on our website. And if you find, if you look for This is a Disaster playlists on Spotify, you'll find those. On to the disaster. All right. There's a modern cluster of islands in Greece known as Santorini. Hmm. They're about 250 kilometers or 150 miles southeast of Athens and about 600 kilometers or 370 miles southwest of Istanbul. And Istanbul might ring a bell because it's where a fleet of plague-carrying Genoese ships would wipe out 90% of the population as they pass through 3,000 years later. <laughs> Remember that? Yes, I Black do. Death episodes, 13 yeah. and 14. So that kind of sets the stage. We're talking about something that happened about 5,000 years ago. Okay. Which you'll see, I'll get into it. It might be a little... <laughs> I say a little bit for me, it was supremely frustrating because when you talk about history that old, you get a lot of archaeology, which is super cool. But on the other hand, you don't get a lot of like, this is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But cool nevertheless. Yeah. Uh-huh. So anyway, Santorini wasn't always called Santorini. The original name is actually lost to time, but it eventually came to be known as Thera. Okay. Named after Theras, who was a hero of Sparta, who was pretty gung-ho about invading Athens until it started coughing itself to death. Like, <laughs> the Plague of Athens for episode one. Like, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll pass on that one. Yeah. And he was also a descendant of Jason's Argonauts. Oh, okay. Do you remember the Argonauts? Have you heard of the Argonauts? Are there not sort of old movies based on that? Like with the Greek sort of... Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. stop motion monsters and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's Greek mythology so, is the word I'm struggling for. Mini sidebar about Jason and the Argonauts. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so the Argonauts were heroes in Greek mythology, and they followed Jason, who was a Greek mythical hero and totally not bitter about his lame hero name. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound very Greek. Like right. I had two Jasons in my grade two class. Right. Uh-huh. You've got Zeus and Hades yeah. and Hephaestus. And, and Jason's like, Jason. so So what does is, what is, what is my name get to be? Am I like, <laughs> what am I like, Hercules part two or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You shall be known as Somebody Jason. Jason. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, cool. Thanks, so do I, do I at least get to go on a, do I at least get to go on like a cool quest or something? Oh, the coolest. <laughs> you, you are going to go get... A golden fleece. A f- like, a, like, like a fleece, like you're cold? Like, a, like, like I'm a, getting a sweater for you? Like a sweater? You need a sweat? You're cold. You need a sweater? <laughs> yeah, so that was that was his thing. He went to he had to go get a golden fleece that hung in a grove guarded by a dragon that never sleeps. So basically an insomniac dragon. Oh, okay. So in a suicide mission, basically. Basically. For a sweater. Yeah, was, so he took the Argonauts with him, who are so-called because they sailed aboard a ship named Argo. Yeah. So Argonaut means Argo sailor in yeah. the same way that astronaut or cosmonaut means star sailor. Astro, yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> As a quick spoiler, Jason gets it possibly because the dragon just wanted to get some rest. All right. There's a dragon that never sleeps. Mm. So the dragon's like, fucking finally, <laughs> nobody's wanted this thing. Get this thing away from me. <laughs> Ferris came from Argonaut stock and he got himself an island named after him. 
which is pretty cool. Not bad. Together with Crete, which is a larger island to the south of Thera, Thera was part of a surprisingly advanced civilization that ruled over the Mediterranean. In the same way that it wasn't always called Santorini, it also wasn't always a cluster of islands. Oh. There was a time around the era that we're talking about, actually, that it was a beautiful, symmetrical mountain in the Mediterranean Sea. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the Minoan civilization. Does that mm. ring a bell? Is that around the sort of Pacific Island, like the Hawaiian Islands? Couldn't be further. Couldn't. So I'm just going to dive in. <laughs> Don't set me up like that, Peter. <laughs> uh, if I'm feeling kind, I'll edit that in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll take it. Around 3000 BC, Crete became home to what is known as the Minoan civilization. Okay. So in Greek mythology, Minos was the first king of Crete, which is the largest Greek island. Yeah. And he's the son of Zeus and Europa, okay. who sent seven young boys and seven young girls into the labyrinth created by Daedalus, father of Icarus, uh -huh. every nine years to be eaten by the Minotaur. That's strange. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, mad with power. <laughs> <laughs> Just coming Why up with seven? fucked up things to do because you can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when he died, Minos became a judge of the dead in the underworld, where presumably he crossed paths with about a million young boys and girls he had sent to be eaten by the Minotaur. Good. <laughs> They'll come up and... Gets to his new position in the underworld. They're all just standing there, arms crossed, tapping their feet. Yeah, exactly. Dude, why? <laughs> I'm going to be seven forever because of you. Yeah. Yeah. So Minos... I'm going to go ahead and call him the asshole king of Crete. He was immortalized <laughs> in the name of the Minoan civilization by archaeologists in the 19th century. Okay. So the height of the Minoan civilization was between around 2700 and 1450 BC, which is almost 5,000 years ago. All right. And the span of that, 2700 to 1450, is about 1,250 years. Okay. So if you're in North America, think about everything that's happened since the founding of your country. Yeah. That's like the US or Canada. Yeah. And set aside in indigenous history for a second. Yeah. But just just think about from the time that Christopher Columbus onwards arrived, the U.S. is 243 years old, right? right, right. So multiply that by six, <laughs> and that's how long this ancient civilization was around starting 5,000 years ago. Yeah, kind of puts things in perspective. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. This has been coming up a lot lately. More and more you think when you're living in it, you always study like this ancient history, like all oh, these civiliz great civilizations that existed thousands of years ago that rose and fell. Yeah. But this time in our civilization, we got it right. Oh, yeah. We, like ours, ours is the one that works. We right? are so much smarter than those <laughs> dummies who are living in the dirt and worshiping yeah. the sun. We got it made. Which, to be fair, we do have a lot more advancements than they do. Like, we got cell phones and airplanes and globalization. Oh, yeah. On the other hand, when you're hit by an epidemic or a <laughs> pandemic like we are right now, you got people that are burning down cell phone towers in London because they think that 5G causes coronavirus. I heard about that yesterday. I've somehow avoided all that until yesterday. Yep. And it's something to do with 5G and bats. Yeah. I actually had a note to talk about this earlier and I skipped over it, but maybe now's a good time while we're talking about the downfall of civilizations. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're on that. It came to mind because I was thinking about all the stuff that we talked about where like people seemingly lost their minds during the Black Death. Yeah. You had these flagellants going around whipping themselves bloody. Right, and you had these right. pogroms against the Jews. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. man, these people were crazy. <laughs> Let me just see what's going on on the news today. Oh, 5G causes coronavirus. Oh, They're burning cell towers. Okay, cool, okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay. cool. Nothing changes. <laughs> Nothing changes. <laughs> Well, not only that, but um, in the in the real world, it, we're like a month into this, and already yep. so many businesses are just like, "Oh, we're we're closing forever." Oh yeah, 
Like yeah, yeah, everyone's yeah. just barely hanging on. That's 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 proof of that. Like yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's crazy. It's terrible. It's terrible. Obviously, it's also fascinating to me. Possibly just because we do this podcast. Yeah. It's, so I see all these things pop up in the news, and it's like, oh, Italy's being ravaged by a pandemic. <laughs> Seen that before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's grist for the mill. So. Coming back to Thera and the Minoans, okay. this civilization puts us in the range, or the story puts us in the Bronze Age, ah. which I always found interesting, so... Bronze Age. Sidebar about the Bronze Age. All right. Sidebars on sidebars. If you're new here, we do sidebars. <laughs> yeah, we go deep. So in the early 19th century, Christian Jurgensen Thomason, who is a Danish archaeologist, began using a three-age system to sort artifacts while on royal commission for the collection and preservation of antiquities. So the idea of classifying early history into three ages wasn't necessarily new, but he was the first person to name them. So he named them the Stone Age. It's about three and a half million years in length, and it ends around, this range always takes me back, but it ends between 9,000 and 2,000 BC. Okay. Which again, the further back in history you go, whenever you're estimating a date, it seems like that margin gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. <laughs> around. 10 <laughs> yeah. or 20,000 years ago. Yeah, give or take. Then you have the Bronze Age, which is from around 3300 to 300 BC. Yeah. 3300 to 300. The Bronze Age, that's my uh, third favorite age. Is it? Yeah. What's what's your second favorite? Silver. There's no Silver Age. I was, I was making a joke about uh, bronze. Get it? Uh, yeah, I know. I got it. No, I got it. I, I, was, I cut you off to make that joke. It was right. worth it. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I'm glad that you ground this to a halt. Uh, to make that. <laughs> so Iron Age, you were saying. <clears throat> and then the Iron the Iron Age was from around 1200 BC to 880. Oh, wow. So you notice that there's, there's overlaps in those. That's because obviously civilizations varied in when they enter and leave these ages. Right. Because they're not all. Yeah, they're yeah. not on the same page. <laughs> if you've ever played Civilization, you know that if a rival civilization gets to the Iron Age, you're like, oh, Fuck. The spearmen are coming. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or not the spearmen, whatever. The swords. The iron swordsmen. The iron man. They're coming. Yeah. There we go. Sorry. Go ahead. So hold on to your socks. The Bronze Age gets its name (laughs) because it was an era characterized by the use of bronze. Shut up. It was also the beginnings of written record and other features of modern urban civilization, but primarily it was bronze. Okay. While iron is a better candidate to use when you're making tools and weapons because it's naturally more abundant, it requires a much higher temperature to smelt. Ah. So people in the Bronze Age probably found iron, but they're like, well, I can't do anything with this rock because I can't melt it. I'm not smart enough to smelt it. Exactly. I'll have to wait a few thousand years. Yeah. Roughly, yeah, depending on where my civilization is. Yeah, two, three thousand, <laughs> you know. But luckily, the melting points of tin and copper were, were much more attainable. Uh-huh. So bronze is an alloy made of mostly copper plus about 12% tin. Okay. And both of these metals are much more rare than iron, which makes them very valuable to civilizations. Okay. That's a bit of a primer on the Bronze Age. Cheap there is a way more nuance. Remember when I told you when I went into the history of Egypt and it'll actually come up again here. I started doing research into the history of Egypt and I realized how much there is to know, uh-huh. obviously, and how much controversy there is about virtually every single fact. Okay. Bronze Age kind of takes that same approach. Okay. I feel like we're going to loop around and come back and talk about more aspects of the Bronze Age, but li- that's that's the primer. It's called the Bronze Age because tin and copper makes bronze and iron is hard to smelt <laughs> and civilizations remained in the bronze age until they managed to create kilns capable of melting iron okay so those are the facts that everyone can agree on 
pretty much and everything yeah. else is sort of a <laughs> <laughs> there's different like subdivisions sure. and, you know okay right so the minoan civilization was extremely advanced for the time but also generally so they were seafaring and able to island hop throughout the mediterranean covering over 300 kilometers or 200 miles in just over a day wow which is actually when you compare it to other civilizations at the time who were this might be an exaggeration but other civilizations were struggling to stay afloat in rivers yeah and the Minoans were going from island to island, establishing trade routes in their giant ships. They're driving Maseratis around. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> or, yeah, whatever Greek equivalent of a Maserati yeah. is. Is there a Greek sports car? Oh, I don't even know any cars. <laughs> I'm not the guy to ask. So they exploited their mastery of the sea to thrive. They traded and imported all the goods that a Bronze Age society needs to flourish. So they were really good at making pottery and other artisanal things. And they traded those for copper and tin, which were needed to make bronze, okay. which kind of puts them in a good position during the Bronze Age when mm. that's pretty much all you can smelt. Yeah. It's actually interesting. Pottery that you can trace back to the Minoan civilization on Crete has been found as far as Spain. In terms of a Bronze Age civilization, they got out there. Yeah, they did some legwork. Exactly. They developed a writing system, which is known as Linear A. Okay. And before you ask, yes, there's a Linear B. <laughs> and odds are it possibly led to written Greek. Keep in mind, the Bronze Age is an era where civilizations are kind of starting to experiment with written word and documenting the things. written word. Yeah. Okay. But again, this is another point. Maybe it's just stuck in my mind right now, which is why I keep talking about it. But if you ever think your civilization is hot shit, remember <laughs> that there's a 3,000-year-old written language from an advanced civilization that you hadn't heard of until this episode and that we don't know how to read. <laughs> so I feel like... Kind of makes the research a little... Uh dicey, I guess. It does. And also it makes you think flash forward 3,000 years and is anybody going to understand English? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, English is the language, Peter. It's the language. Oh, okay. You know. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you ask these questions. They're so silly. The Minoan civilization covered the islands of Crete and Thera. One of the key settlements was called Akrotiri, which started off as a fishing village, possibly as far back as 5,000 BC, which is around the same time that Egypt started Egypting, if you remember from episode 12 <laughs> about the Egyptian famine. Time to start Egypting. <laughs> <laughs> this town, Akrotiri, likely acted as the inspiration for perhaps one of Plato's best known stories, that of Atlantis. But we'll come back to that. Ah, I've got a theory about that place. Maybe briefly, just as a little, 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 little teaser now. In Plato's allegory of Atlantis, Atlantis acts as kind of like an antagonist to Athens that ultimately gets sm smited, smitten, smote, smote. Smoted. <laughs> Smoted. Did you know that for sure? Do you know the past tense of smite? I said smote with a lot of confidence. Mini sidebar, past <laughs> tense of smite. It's smote. It's smote? Yep. I was right. Or, so there's a more archaic, it's smit. Smit. S-M-I-T. Mm. But smote. 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 Because we'll I, I don't know how many times I've wanted to use the past tense of smite. You can figure it out. <laughs> oh, it's, you've been yeah. smate. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now you, know, now you know nautical mile, 1.8 kilometers, yep. and past tense of smote. Smite. 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 As the Minoan civilization rose, Akrotiri became a key port in the trade route connecting Cyprus and Crete, particularly important to the copper trade. So it rose to prominence as a specialist in processing copper because they are trading for it and they have all these kilns and they get very good at processing copper and producing bronze. Okay. Which again, puts them in a great position if you're in an age that's named after the one thing <laughs> that you're really good at producing. That's pretty smart. <laughs> and... They reap the rewards of being in this position. So they had huge, beautiful houses. Mm. They were kind of the height of fashion. They became actually pretty technologically advanced. So they actually built multi-story houses. Okay. Which now, you know, we have skyscrapers, not that big a deal. But at the time, 
building two stories was a big deal. There's buildings on there that had three and four stories mm. and they were architecturally and structurally sound. So they were really good at architecture and engineering. It's amazing. And they also had like a proper advanced sewer system underneath the city. Wow. Which that is a real boon. Again, if you want to think about civilizations, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at 14th century Europe. Yeah. Black death. Black death. Shit running through the streets. Shit caked streets. Shit like, caked what streets happened, man? and uh, terrible, terrible virus. Might be a connection. 3,000 years ago, we had sewers. Something lost. And it was also a hotbed for advanced trades and artists, Akrotiri was. You got this beautiful, advanced, prosperous civilization. Should be a shame if something <laughs> were to happen to it. <laughs> to inspire the allegory of Atlantis. Said the gods. One fine day, and I know that's kind of a cliche thing, but I, I'm assuming it was a fine day because you're in the Mediterranean. Most days the, are fine yeah, there. Yeah, and there's no poop anywhere. Right? Yeah. Big one. <laughs> so one fine day, somewhere between 1600 and 1500 BC, <laughs> is what I'm talking about. Yeah, like, somewhere we don't know. in there. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere in that, you know, 100-year range. Yeah. The earth beneath the feet of the people living on Akrotiri began to shake. Mm. And this wasn't just Akrotiri that was shaking, but it was all of the island of Thera. Okay. Here's another shocker, but also something to mull over. There's not a lot of detailed historical record when you go back 5,000 years, and yet we know about Thera. Uh-huh. So I guess some events are big enough to punch a hole in history. <laughs> we'll call that a big deal. Yeah. Well, yeah. Capital B, capital D, <laughs> yeah. big deal. As you can imagine, there was debate among the people that lived on the island about whether or not they should actually leave. Uh-huh. And I'm sure uninformed leaders thinking they know better than the thunder rolling through the ground <laughs> go far back enough that there were a few on Akrotiri. <laughs> This is fine. It's fine. Look, I got my three-story house. I'm not going anywhere. We got to think about the markets. Yeah. The literal markets of pottery. <laughs> we got to keep those open. <laughs> but again, it's another instance of like, how easy is it to leave? I mean, your island's shaken apart. Oh, you mean the island where we spent a millennium establishing our settlement as the pinnacle of trade in the region? Mm -hmm. The one with all the superior buildings and infrastructure? The one filled with our art and treasure? <laughs> that island? Is that the one we should leave? Right. Cool because something might happen. Get right on that. Okay. The debate probably didn't last beyond the second tremor. Mm. And I say tremor, <laughs> but we're talking about something that shook houses apart, cracked walls. Okay. And now, you know, things are actually shaking to pieces. Now the message is getting through. Yeah. So there's no indication, like even on the Mercalli int intensity scale, do you remember that one? That's like the comparative measure of earthquake intensity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that in the Latuya Bay Mega Tsunami Tragedy Tuesday. Mm -hmm. the, like we don't even have a measure on that. We just have records of houses falling apart. Right which probably not negligible. It's considerable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so here's something genuinely surprising. Archaeological records indicate that the people of Thera, or at least Akrotiri, which is the primary archaeological site in the region, okay. they hid their valuables in their basements. Then they evacuated the island in an orderly manner. Oh. That kind of went a different way than I thought it would. They're a very advanced civilization. But look at that. When faced with calamity, humans can decide <laughs> to just do the thing that will save them. <laughs> Stay at home. Stay at home. <laughs> and then, after all this shaking... Nothing happened. Oh, It's unclear for how long, possibly days, maybe months. Okay. And there's some evidence that people actually began returning to Thera to rebuild after the massive earthquakes. Because you've got in the excavation, you've got rubble being moved from roads and things being moved around. Okay. So people came back. They thought it was an earthquake. Maybe not everybody, but some people some that people. really wanted to get things rolling again. Yeah. Some optimistic types. Exactly. Okay. All this rebuilding came abruptly to an end, likely in or around the year 1630 BC. Oh, now we got a year. Roughly. Again, roughly. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's carbon dating, and there's, there's a whole lot of things that point to that year, but right. you never know. Yeah. Sidebar on Volcanic Explosivity Index. 
before we get into this. <laughs> Whatever <next part>. for. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1983, Chris Newhall and Stephen Self, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> Steve yourself. Steve yourself, Stephen. They established the Volcanic Explosivity Index, or VEI, which is a way of measuring volcanic eruptions by measuring them against each other. Okay. There's a quantitative measure that runs from zero to eight, and it measures the volume of material ejected from an eruption, uh-huh. the height of the cloud emanating from the volcano, and certain other qualitative descriptors. Okay. I like these because whenever there's like a new measure of anything developed by scientists, you got to look for the nerd factor, and this is where it is. <laughs> when you look at these qualitative descriptors, you go from effusive and gentle at the bottom to paroxysmic and mega colossal. Oh, wow. <laughs> All great descriptors. And mega colossal, not to be confused with super colossal or simply colossal. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the order. The VEI scale is logarithmic. So every step of the scale is a tenfold increase in magnitude. So an eruption with a VE of two is 10 times more devastating than one with a VEI of one. Okay. As a baseline, Mount St. Helens from episode eight had a VEI of four, wow. which means it had a bulk ejecta volume, which is the bulk of like material that flies out of it yeah. at 0.1 cubic kilometers or 0.02 cubic miles, a plume height, so the smoke coming out of it, of over 10 kilometers or six miles. And it was described as cataclysmic Mm. on the scale. Okay. And there are eight levels. And we'll return to the VEI shortly. All right. Close sidebar. Yeah. (laughs) As a recap, volcanoes (laughs) typically form when Earth's tectonic plates either move apart to expose underlying magma to the surface or collide and one plate is forced under the other in a process known as subduction. (laughs) So when the plates grind together the rock on the leading edge melts into volcanic magma Uh from the friction. It accumulates in magma chambers. And then pressure from these chambers can be released gradually through steam vents and other minor eruptions. Mm -hmm. And that's why all over Earth, you've got places that just have like magma flows and steam vents. And that's usually these magma chambers being released. Okay. Sometimes you get massive magma chambers with no pressure release mechanism. Okay. And all this pressure and no release make magma a dangerous... Magma. Mm, liquid magma. I looked for a joke there, but give me a break. I've been home all day. <laughs> so f- let's talk about phase one all right. of Thera. Pressure built inside the magma chambers underneath Thera until the top of the idyllic symmetrical Thera mountaintop exploded. Okay. And when I say exploded, the explosion ranks at a seven on the volcanic explosivity index. And there's eight? There's eight levels. Oh, and it's geez. logarithmic. <laughs> the bulk volume of what flew out of the top of Thera was 100 cubic kilometers or 23 cubic miles. What? That was my reaction. And let me put it into perspective <laughs> oh, for you. Oh, please do. If, if we picture it as a cube, because that's usually easiest. I always picture a cube. This is a cube whose sides are the distance mm-hmm. from downtown Ottawa to Mallorytown, if you're a Canadian. <laughs> and you live in Ontario, <laughs> or it's the distance from Staten Island to Philadelphia. Oh, on three sides, my filled God. with mass. <laughs> uh huh. And a smoke plume of over twenty kilometers, and a classification on the volcanic explosivity index of super colossal. That's your big boy. Inferior only to mega colossal. Exactly. Smaller only than mega colossal. Is there any idea at which, like, the speed it attained these distances? I think not quite. I would say at least comparable to St. Helens. So you're looking at things being ejected probably close to or at the speed of sound. Jeez. Okay. This explosion came along with everything else that we saw at St. Helens, but on steroids. Yeah. So if you remember, St. Helens had pyroclastic flows, which is kind of flow of material out of a volcano. Yeah. This had pyroclastic surges, which is kind of low-lying gas emanating from the volcano and just covering the ground. Oh, God. At a rapid pace. Okay. It also had lava fountaining, 
and this is this is the actual term for it, and it's basically exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> it's just Earth spewing its molten guts into the air. Right. That's insane. So again, as I mentioned, that VEI scale is logarithmic. So the eruption, which was a seven, and St. Helens was a four. So the eruption of Thera was a thousand times bigger than the eruption of St. Helens. Okay. And it's bigger even than Krakatoa, oh. which we'll loop around back to. Okay. But Krakatoa is the other one where, like, you say Krakatoa, and people are like, whoa, <laughs> this was... Krakatoa is like a six. Oh. So this is 10 times bigger than Krakatoa. Jesus. Again, for reference, eruptions bigger than seven on the VEI scale occurred between 25,000 and 26 million BC. <laughs> That's a big gap too. The latest eight on a VEI was probably more than 25,000 years ago. Okay. That's how far back you have to go to find something bigger than the eruption of Thera. <laughs> so rare, but... But also not... Not impossible. Impossible, but just another thing to Comforting, worry about. Comforting, yeah, yeah. Also, eights on the VEI scale eject a thousand cubic kilometers of stuff. <sighs> just... Half the world? <laughs> well, yeah. Drive a third of the way to Florida. Right. And then cube it, and that's how much flies into the air. <laughs> cube that shit, and then kiss your ass goodbye. That was phase one of the eruption. Okay. That's just phase one. <laughs> phase two. Okay. The other two phases are kind of shorter, but still, <laughs> big deals. All right. Phase two of the explosion left a dense cloud of gas and magma that was actually so dense that it eventually imploded on itself and rained down on the formerly beautiful now a crater there. <laughs> My God. So it basically exploded, left this cloud of fiery gas and material yeah. that would just like rain back down on whatever it's was so left. So combustible that it combusted all over the place. Basically. Jeez. Yeah. And then it combusted Thera. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think I do. Yeah, we're so funny. Mm. I'll probably cut that one. <laughs> and then <laughs> phase three, now that we have a giant 10 kilometer wide bowl of red hawk magma, uh -huh. water from the Mediterranean Sea began to flow into it. Oh. When you get water plus super hot magma, more explosions. <laughs> yeah. So this thing basically... A fun steam bath? Yeah, just exploding over and over. And you better believe that all three of these phases brought with them my favorite disaster, oh. which is... Tsunami. The tsunami. All over the place. <laughs> Although we're kind of one, one year in, so maybe it's time to review if tsunamis are still my favorite. True. I thought you'd already uh, yeah. switched that up to I forget what, but... I think it might be Plagues now. Now it's Plagues. I think Plagues has more of a human element to it. It sure does. Tsunami, you just kind of get hit by it and then you recover. Yeah. Plague, you got all this bargaining and denial. And <laughs> maybe it's Plagues. Stupid maybe it's Plagues. I think it's theories. Plagues. Yeah, man, Plagues, man. It's probably Plagues. plagues. Yeah, plagues. It's people burning down cell phone towers. <laughs> totally reasonable. Yeah. It turns out... That Pharaoh was doing this for hundreds of thousands of years leading up to this eruption. So basically, you'd have a massive eruption. It would collapse into a caldera that would fill with seawater. And again, if you remember caldera from the St. Helens episode eight that we did, yeah. it's a large hollow that forms in the earth when these subterranean magma chambers empty. Oh, yeah. Magma comes out of them. They get empty. This area of land collapses into them mm -hmm. to fill the space. And then a lot of times the surface kind of gets refilled with magma. And that's a lot of times how you build some of these conical volcanoes. Mm -hmm. Remember, Thera was like a perfectly symmetrical mountain before all this happened. That's why. Because this <laughs> had been happening over and over. That explains it. And in this case, like I said, the collapse never actually stemmed the flow of magma in Thera. So the caldera that was formed would refill with magma over time, rebuilding the idyllic symmetrical peak uh that happened to be the home of the Minoans on Akrotiri in 1600 BC uh -huh. until it would erupt again, restarting the cycle. Jeez. What a crafty little natural disaster. So, Thera throughout history. I, I mentioned that it 
sometimes you get disasters that punch holes through history. Yeah. And this is one of them. <laughs> so here, here we go. Okay. The people of Akrotiri and the Minoan civilization fled there in time for the most part. Some people came back. Uh-huh. And we know this because there's actually only a few bodies that were found during the excavation of Akrotiri underneath the, I think it's called pumice, which is a layer of rock that gets formed from volcanic sediment like this. Okay. And when you're dealing with like a three-phase gargantuan eruption like this, it's not really a surprise. No. <laughs> Still, Thera reverberated through history. Yeah. The effects of Thera's eruption were likely serious as far as China's Xia dynasty. Okay. So this is a dynasty that collapsed due to famine and crop failures, and a lot of the accounts spoke of constant fog, dull sun, and a generally frigid weather conditions wow. that led to collapse of their crops. Yeah. You've also got a lot of talk of Thera in Egypt. So around 1550 BC, uh, Steely, S-T-E-L-E, was erected in ancient Egypt that spoke of an apocalyptic storm sweeping through the land. Hmm. So this was in the time of the New Kingdom, okay. or simply a lot of times it's called just the Egyptian Empire, which was from 1500 to 1069 BC. Okay, good empire. Another 3,000-year-old empire that lasted for 500 years. Mm-hmm. So do with that information <laughs> what you will. Yeah, take that to heart. <laughs> and actually, mini sidebar about Steely, or S-T-E-L-E. So a Steely, I'm taking this pronunciation from the internet, so I'm hoping okay. it's right. We'll go with the internet. A stele is a monument that was often erected in the ancient world, and it would be covered in carvings and ornamentation, and it would serve a lot of purposes. The traditional one that's kind of lasted throughout the years is gravestones. Okay. Technically, I guess you could call it a stele if you ever want to be a nerd in a graveyard, but it's probably inappropriate because you're in a graveyard and you're <laughs> yeah. looking at graves. Yeah. No one wants to know it all. A lot of times, it's like a historical commemoration of some event. Okay. Something will happen, and a civilization will build the stele and either inscribe it with words or put ornaments on it to represent what happened. Right. And sometimes it's used as, they used to be used as, indicators of borders. So I imagine the Roman Empire would have, here's the border. Don't cross it because we'll stab you. Observe the steely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they can be found throughout the Middle East, Africa, parts of Europe, and even South America. So it's it's like a thing, which isn't that surprising, the idea of just inscribing your history on a monument. Yeah. This stele in Egypt, we came to be known as the Tempest stele. If I'm saying stele wrong and I'm saying it a lot, (laughs) I am going to cringe every time I listen to this episode. Tempest stele. Someone's going to get in touch with me and be like, actually, it's pronounced... It's Stel. Yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I'm just never going to be able to listen to this episode. Anyway. <laughs> so the Tempest Stele talked about destruction that was wrought on structures throughout the Egyptian Empire, primarily, though, in Thebes, which is on the eastern end of the Egyptian Empire at the time. Right. Work done by Robert Rittner, who's an Egyptologist at the University of Chicago, published in the Journal of Near Eastern Studies in 2014, offered new translations of the Tempest Stele, and it linked the abnormal weather conditions to the eruption of a great volcano. Okay. There's a lot of controversy in Egyptology in general, and I feel like I'm just going to go the back away with my hands up <laughs> thing because I, I don't want to dive into it. Right. But the point is, Thera's destruction was far-reaching and has been the source of much historical controversy. Like, I'm sure people have built careers around arguing around what the Tempest Steely actually is talking about. Oh, okay. There's some people that say it's metaphors for the civilization having a rough time, possibly talking about war because it talks about dark cloud coming over the civilization, right. which could be literal or it could just be a metaphor. Oracle, dark cloud, dark times. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. It also demonstrates the extreme frustrating difficulty of digging this far back into our past. Yeah. And like I said at the beginning, this is going to be a frustrating episode because we know that something happened and we know that there is a truth, but we'll never know 
exactly what happened. Oh, right. <laughs> it's it's a bummer, but that's yeah. how all of this stuff works. Yeah. Once you go back beyond any kind of reliable written record, you're just grasping at straws. Is what happened probably. Yep. We theorize. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. we theorize differently. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Another interesting connection. I'm going to talk about the Book of Exodus. Okay. I thought this was actually super cool. Second book of the Bible. Is it? Yep. Thank you very oh, much. Cool. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you said that with such confidence. I know. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give away how much I know about the Bible by just my explanation of the Exodus myth. And I'm sure there's people going to be like, someone didn't go to Sunday school. Oh, okay. <laughs> Someone's a heathen. <laughs> the Exodus is the origin story of the Israelites. Right. No surprise, I guess. I knew that much. Okay. In the Bible, the Exodus myth is told in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and surprise, Exodus. Uh-huh. It spans those books. Right. Books? Books. Yeah. In a nutshell, the Israelites were enslaved in ancient Egypt. They were freed by their God, Yahweh. They heard the revelations at Mount Sinai. And if you want to hear more about the Ten Commandments, or specifically the star of the movie of the same name, <laughs> check out episode 19, The Last Men on Earth, Jesus. where we talk about Charlton Heston in the Omega That's Man. right. <laughs> that was a real tenuous. <laughs> Uh, connection. <laughs> Look, I haven't I haven't done a lot of callbacks. We normally make a lot of connections, and I realized that I've only done like one. And I figured I got to throw in another <laughs> okay, one. So. After that, they wandered in the wilderness until they made it to Canaan, which is an ancient region in modern day Levant, which is the region of Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Israel. Yep. And then, in exchange for delivering them to Canaan, the Israelites make a deal with Yahweh, known as the Mosaic Covenant. Mm-hmm. And part of this covenant are the Ten Commandments, stored as we know in the Ark of the Covenant, which melts the faces of Nazis if they. Yeah, if you look at it. Yeah, don't do that. How hard must it have been to keep your eyes closed? I know. I'll just peek. Don't do it. Yeah, well, don't do it. Shows you how stupid Nazis are. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Among the many things that go on in these four books that describe the Exodus myth, you've got the 10 plagues of Egypt. Yes. And I'm just going to go over them real quick. You got the water in the Nile turning into blood. You've got the Nile overflowing with frogs. Then you've got all the dust throughout Egypt becoming lice. Oh, yeah. Which... That sucks. I mean, they kind of started strong. <laughs> By number three, they ran out of... They're, they're waiting to see. Oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn the Nile into blood. Oh, oh yeah. Then oh. then it's going to get overrun with frogs. Weird. Yeah. Then, then, then there's going to be lice. What's number four? <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> dude, we already have lice. I'm covered in it's, lice. This is like 1600 BC. Our clothes yeah. are made of hair. <laughs> do you see a nitpick around here? <laughs> So, so number four, wild animals would swarm the Egyptian people. Okay. Then you've got pestilence affecting the livestock, okay. boils breaking out over men and animals throughout the land. Ugh. You've got thunderstorms of hail and fire. Mm. You've got locust swarms ravaging the crops. Yep. Three days of darkness, and then the death of every firstborn son in Egypt. Uh-huh. Creeping death. They kind of got it hard in those 10 plays. They got hit pretty hard. That damn Pharaoh. All his fault. All his Just fault. let his people go. Exactly. In a baritone. <laughs> I bring all that up because in 2006, a man named Simcha Jakubovic released a documentary called The Exodus Decoded, which is available on YouTube and is very early 2000s. Okay. The, the producers discovered that CG exists and then they're like, perfect. We CG everything. <laughs> this stuff's great. Check it out. Um, there'll be a link in the in the description. And, okay. Yeah. Uh, probably on our social media. Jakubovic suggests that the 10 plagues of Egypt were caused by the eruption of Thera. Uh-huh. And I won't actually go into all of them. But for example, he brings up the Nile turning red was actually the result of underground gas leaks caused by seismic activity leading up to the eruption of Thera. Uh-huh. There's instances of this happening in the real world okay. where as a result of earthquakes, 
they'd release subterranean gases that would turn lakes and rivers red. Really? And then he goes on to say, there's frogs in the Nile, but there's also fish. The only thing that can actually leave a water body that's being acidified or turned toxic by this kind of gas release is frogs. Makes sense. So the land being overrun by frogs is the frogs fleeing the Nile that's been contaminated with this subterranean gas. Having their own little exodus. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Go on. That's two of them. And he actually goes on to similar, I don't know, I'm not a historian, but similar, I would say credible. I don't know if credible is the right word, but I heard them and I was like, huh, yeah. yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. So beyond that, though, he, there's another thing that I thought was even more interesting. For this next part, it's important to know that there's controversy about what sea the Israelites followed during their exodus. So traditionally, it's been referred to as the Red Sea. Right. But there's controversy about the translation of Yam Suf, which is the Hebrew word used in Exodus narrative to describe the body of water. Okay. Many religious scholars believe that it actually refers to a sea of reeds, not the Red Sea. A sea of reeds. Yeah. Add one more E. So like oh. reeds. Coming back to Yakubovich, he argues that the Sea of Reeds actually refers to a marshy area in northern Egypt. Okay. This region was alternately drained and flooded by the ebbs and flows in seawater because of the tsunamis caused by the eruption of Thera. Okay. So when the Israelites get to this point and the Red Sea parts, Yakubovich's argument is that it's actually the Reed Sea that's receding. <laughs> it's not the Red Sea parting. Oh but it's the, it's the sea of reeds oh, having the water drained from it. That's the best part. Right, uh, right. I mean, it's still kind of cool. Moses was a charlatan. I don't know. I find it interesting. I got that inkling where like I could feel myself going deep on Exodus. Yeah. So I think there's probably some bonus content to chunk off here. And I think we'll probably loop back around and talk about Exodus okay. some more and Passover at the same time because there's some cool history behind that. Okay. Interesting. The short version is uh, don't let demons steal your babies. That's good advice. But anyway, so keep an eye out. That'll probably be another, uh, that'll be a Patreon exclusive. Yeah, keep an eye out. Bonus content. Patreons. Hey, they you got, got it. it. Nope, you didn't. It's, pa it's patrons. <laughs> Patreons. Yeah. I also teased a little bit earlier Atlantis. Right. If you remember. Yeah, I remember. A Greek archaeologist named Spiridon Marinatos discovered the ruins of Akrotiri in 1967. And he had his name immortalized in one of my wife's favorite video games, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Okay. Which is actually, it's good because a book was written by James Mavor Jr. around the same time called Voyage to Atlantis, which documented the discovery and excavation of Thera under the supervision of this archaeologist, Marinatos. Oh, cool. So Atlantis made its first appearance in two of Plato's works called Critias and Timaeus, written around 360 BC. Okay. Critias specifically tells the story of an antagonistic naval power, like I mentioned, from a fictional island called Atlantis. Mm. And it basically attacks and conquers all the non-unified cities in the sea. So it's a dominant naval power, which sounds a lot like the Minoans. Yeah, yeah. Until it reaches a fictionalized ancient Athens, which has a robust republic, uh -huh. which the Atlanteans can't take over and they're beaten back by Athens. Oh. So the Atlanteans then return to their island and the island gets smote. Eh? Smote? Smote by the gods and then sinks into the water. Uh -huh. So many scholars assume that Plato's Atlantis was fictional because he claims at the beginning... Plato does that Critias takes place 9,000 years before his time. Mm -hmm. But as you know, people are going to speculate. Sure. 
But Plato's depiction and the depictions of Atlantis that followed in literature, it was a huge, bright, prosperous, and advanced civilization. Right. Which, again, sounds a little bit like Akrotiri on Thera mm-hmm. under the Minoan civilization. They were... There have been many hypothesized locations of the lost city of Atlantis. Pretty much every continent has <laughs> has made a case for Atlantis being found in or around their borders, even the North Pole. Okay. I was reading this one uh, article from like the 1930s or late 1920s about a guy who suggested that humans were created and placed at the North Pole, and that's where, like, Atlantis and Eden and everything was. <laughs> that sucks. That's where you're going to start us? <laughs> that's where you're going to walk around naked? Yeah. Maybe one of the more credible hypotheses connects the Tempest Steely presumed record of Thera's eruption to the true inspiration for Plato's story. Uh. Even in his fictional works, it's basically acknowledged that Plato borrowed from established traditions and local history. Okay. And remember, at the same time, though, the, the Tempestili is controversial in what it's actually talking about. So right. it might have been an actual storm, might have just been the metaphors. But anyway, the main arguments for Thera and the Minoan civilization being the true, quote-unquote, Atlantis, they had relatively advanced architecture and engineering, plumbing. They even had, like, a modern looking airflow and multi-story buildings. And this is, these were advanced even beyond Greece at the time. Right. Minoans were just killing it. Yeah, yeah. Plato described Atlantis as being built from rocks that were white, black, and red gathered from the island. Okay. And these are possibly volcanic rock because these are typically the colors of volcanic rock as you would find on an active volcano island like Thera. Yeah. Also, Plato described Atlantis as having like a circular configuration. So it had like an outer ring of land with an inner lagoon filled with small islands that's Mm. connected to the sea by like a single passage. Modern reconstructions of what Thera, now Santorini, looked like before the eruption indicate that that's probably what it looked like. This island with a small lagoon inside and a bunch of islands inside with one access point. Cool. Those are all compelling cases for making Thera Atlantis. Without being a historian, that kind of makes me want to say... Duh? (laughs) (laughs) Too obvious. Could the imaginary advanced civilization that sank into the sea be inspired by the advanced civilization that sank into the sea about 200 (laughs) kilometers from where Plato was writing? Right. So it's not a a huge stretch. It's, yeah. Or alternatively, we could listen to Olaus Rudbeck, who claimed Sweden was Atlantis in 1679. Interesting. That's a curveball. I mean, we'll cut him some slack because... Seems like he might have been the first person to discover the lymphatic system, which might have been helpful 200 years earlier during the Black Death. Hmm. Remember, Black Death infects the lymph nodes first. But anyway, I'm not so sure if I'm on his side that Sweden is Atlantis. uh, Yeah. (laughs) There's actually another thing that came up here, and I'm not going to go into it now. I'm just going to say the name. Okay. There's also a hypothesis that says the eruption of Thera acted as a bicameral trigger. Mm. I'm going to leave psychological bicameralism to Gary to talk about maybe yeah. in the bonus content. Okay, It's a concept I had never known about. And that was another instance where I started reading about it. And I'm like, this is super cool and is going to take me like two hours to talk about it. So I'm going <laughs> to leave it to an expert. Okay. But that to look forward to. That'll probably be in the, maybe even in the Exodus bonus content. So come back around for that. All right. That'll be available on our Patreon. The eruption of Thera obviously ravaged Akrotiri. And this was the crown jewel of the Minoan civilization, mm. which was now covered in pumice, like I talked about. Right. Early on, historically, Historians thought that the eruption of Thera had direct consequences for the Minoan civilization on or near Crete. So they thought, for example, like the ash that fell from the volcano killed plant life, destroyed agriculture, and basically starved the population to death. Sure, sure, sure. But more recent analysis showed that the ash layer was probably a lot thinner than they originally thought, not thick enough to actually kill anything. Okay. So that's 
probably not what happened because it was so dispersed and why like far reaching. Yeah, exactly. The destruction on Thera, they're close by, but they're still at least 100 kilometers apart. Right. The localized destruction on Thera, picture that 10 kilometer diameter island exploding. Yeah. So that destruction near that epicenter is catastrophic. Uh but then I guess like it's throwing dust into the air yeah. and maybe there's like a fall off. If it's not being blown in a certain direction, it kind of falls off. And by the time it got to Crete, it was only like a thin covering. Got it. It was thought for a while that the tsunamis from phase one and two of the eruption ravaged Crete and wiped out the Minoans. But again, more recently, it was found that they did rock the coastlines, but they didn't cause any major long lasting effects. Mm. Probably not tsunamis that did it. It's more likely that the Minoan civilization was gradually ground down by the side effects of the eruption. Oh, okay. It's a sea-based power and it's main point of Akrotiri was destroyed. And that's where the moneymaker was. Right. So that one's blown away. The hub. Not to mention those tsunamis that ravaged the coastline probably also ravaged the Minoan fleet. Okay. So they were a sea-based power that had the Mediterranean on lock, but now they don't have any boats or a lot less than they did. <laughs> so that probably contributed to their downfall as well. Yeah, yeah. And then about 200 years after the likely date of the Theric eruption, the Minoans were conquered by the Mycenaeans, mm. which is essentially like the Bronze Age version of the Greece that we saw during the Plague of Athens. Okay. You could think of the Mycenaeans as proto-Greek empire kind of thing. Okay. And then one of the theories is that Thera caused a crisis within the Minoan civilization, basically weakened them and made them ripe for the conquering. Yeah. Kind of like catching a cold. It's usually when like after a night of drinking <laughs> or you've, you're just, you know, you get physically cold, your immune system is compromised and that's when you get sick. And the germs move in. Exactly. Now... After all of that, Thera's sleeping. Mm. According to the Greek historian Strabo, Thera made more noise around 200 BC. Okay. And I've got a quote here from him. <laughs> so midway between Thera and Therasia, fires broke forth from the sea and continued for four days so that the whole sea boiled and blazed and the fires cast up an island which was gradually elevated as though by levers and <laughs> consisted of burning masses. What the so essentially a volcanic <laughs> island rose from the ocean. Yes. Spawn of Satan and his summer yeah. home. <laughs> and once you get to 200 BC, now we've actually got written record. Right. So this mass is the modern island of Khomeini. Okay. And then the same thing happened in 1701 AD now, creating Nea Khomeini, which grew bigger in 1866 following another similar event. Holy Lord. So basically islands are growing out of islands the ocean around popping. there. <laughs> Apparently, the surface of these islands is abnormally warm, uh -huh. like warmer than just from sunlight. So I feel like Thera's not done with this yet. <laughs> yeah. That is ominous. If you remember volcano classifications from uh, St. Helens in episode eight, you can call a volcano dormant all you want. It just <laughs> means that it hasn't erupted again yet. Right. A lot of people might talk about Thera and volcanoes like it being dormant. Yeah. It just means that we're not in the time frame yeah. of it erupting necessarily. Volcanoes. But we might be. Yeah. They pass the time a little differently than we do. Yeah. But I mean, 1866, it's not too long ago. No. And these volcanoes are up every 500 to 1,000 years. So, Tick -tock. you know, let that rocket asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, according to the Volcanic Explosivity Index, volcanoes of Thera's magnitude erupt with a frequency of around 500 to 1,000 years. And we've already seen rumbling. So it's just a matter of time before <laughs> Thera destroys again. Awesome. So that was Thera. And that was a disaster. Yes, it was. Holy shit. It's <laughs> a <laughs> so one year anniversary disaster. There you go. Thought, thought I'd make it a big go one. Go out with a bang. Started with the plague. <laughs> wrapped up year one with the volcano. You got some music for that? Yeah, I do. You want to go first? Let's hear uh, it. The music I picked is uh, by a group called Painkiller. 
And uh, this band, I don't think they're around anymore, but uh, it consists of um, John Zorn, who's a prolific uh, New York City sort of avant-garde jazz guy. He plays the sax. Okay. Uh, Bill Laswell, who's uh, an acclaimed producer. He plays the bass. He does a whole variety of things, everything from mainstream to really weird music. And then Mick Harris from mm-hmm. formerly of Napalm Death on drums. Right. So... It's a weird amalgam of like heavy music and and sort of jazz and dub and just we'll just call it experimental. But anyway, uh, the album is called <laughs> yep. Execution Ground, and I picked the first song yep. on the first disc, and it's called okay. a Par- Parish of Tama, Ossuary Dub, okay. and uh, okay, <laughs> it's kind of a weird title. <laughs> I'll take it. But uh, it starts off very chaotic and and heavy and bombastic, and it. Over over a course of 16 minutes, it just sort of segues into sort of eerie ambient music, and so it's you've got the initial explosion, which that's your phase one, You're right? Yep. And then uh, you know it sort of encompasses all three phases of like the the immediate, uh, you know, kaboom, and then yep, and then you know <laughs> the 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 longer lasting horrible effects. They're all covered in this one song. So that's it. Uh, over to you. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. That sounds sweet. I'm going to check that yeah, out man. right now. It's a great album. I love it. Well, you haven't led me astray yet. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, uh, I don't know if you've heard about this band. It's a band called ES Posthumous. No. Does that ring a bell? No. So they're kind of like a modern classical symphonic rock kind of band. Okay. Two guys, Franz and Helmut von Lichten. Mm. And I think they stopped being a band in 2010. They released an album that was pretty awesome. Okay. So the album is called Unearthed from 2001. Okay. And the song, I kind of teetered around which song to pick, but I decided to go with the on the nose one. <laughs> the song is called uh, Pompeii. <laughs> Honestly, I chose it because it is a classic symphonic rock banger like if you think back to any trailer in the early 2000s for a movie okay. es posthumous music was in it and it was probably Pompeii. okay <laughs> like i remember the first trailer for the uh, toby mcguire spider-man right in like 2001 had pompeii and i was like what is this <laughs> it's super cool okay and it's basically it's like legit cla- modern classic rock music and when i even reading those words like symphonic rock makes me think that i'm not necessarily gonna like yeah it. <laughs> sounds dirty but it is so it's, it's it's a banger okay so check that out i will and it's again it just it's like all of their music is very biblical and symphonic and huge right. sounding right so. right and the 2010 album i was gonna pick some i really i think i like the 2010 album more it's a bit more like modern sounding i guess you could say not surprising but Unearthed is an album that I listened to on repeat when it first came okay. out. And Pompeii is one of the standouts. So nice. check that one out. We'll check that out. Yeah, it's funny because you told me um, the the show, like, you know, what, what music should I pick? When you know, we just think big explosion. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's got to be Pompeii. <laughs> oh, no. It's Vesuvius. I know it. <laughs> right. It's close. Well, they're, apparently, uh, they're, well, like I said, I didn't we, realize there was a bigger one. I wanted to go big. Yeah, go big. Wanted to go big. I mean, Pompeii, not to, we'll probably loop back around to Vesuvius and Pompeii. Yeah. But Pompeii was Bush League compared to Paris. <laughs> Sounds like. It's like typhoid in the Black Death, right? right. Oh, you've got typhoid? Mm. That sucks. <laughs> People die if they breathe me. 
<laughs> says the I'm black. I'm gonna death. get all bubonic on you. So that was that was a disaster. That's Thera Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Let's do let's do like the one year. I asked you what your favorite episode was from the oh, last right, year. Oh right, yeah. Well, I'll let you go first, and maybe I'll nail it down in the meantime. Well, I didn't give it honestly. I didn't need I didn't need to give it a lot of thought because I know the episode I had the most fun recording was was Woodstock ninety nine. Yeah, that was fun. Just because it was such a funny sort of back and forth. I was not only learning a lot about what went down, I was remembering a lot because I remember it happening. And on yeah, top right. of that, I got to complain about a lot of music, which is one of my favorite things. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, would, you would say a band and I would make a noise. It's like a 10 minute section of me naming a band and being super excited and you being like, I hate that band. <laughs> yeah. And this band, <laughs> oh, and these guys play it. I think that was a fun one for me because I think that's, yeah, that's around the time that we kind of got in the swing of it. Yeah. And that is like one of the first episodes that felt like it really came naturally. Before that, it was very like, I was nervous every time being like, is this gonna, is there a show right. coming out of this one? <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, so I, I, you kind of know that I've been obsessed with the story of Donald Crowhurst for a while. Yeah. So I think the two episodes we did on the Tinmouth Electron are probably my favorite. Those are both amazing. Those ones were, I, I admit that those were, those are, I think it's a fun story regardless, but those were very much, that, that was a me episode because <laughs> I read it and I'm like, I don't know if people are going to like this, but I am. Yeah. So I'm, that, I'm going deep. It's so good. And it just, there's a lot to sort of relate to there, at least for me when it's like, yeah, yeah. I feel like Donald Crowhurst every single day. Sometimes <laughs> it's like just teetering on the edge of doing, just making yeah. horrible decisions. And yeah. But then I think another one, one of the ones that I think I laughed the most recording was your Roanoke episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That turned out so great. I think our most popular episode is Woodstock 99. Right. Possibly because we had the foresight of releasing it like the weekend of the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, yeah. the first one. So that was good. Good job, us. Yep. Roanoke, I think, is possibly our second most popular episode. That's... And then like the Chern- Chernobyl so ones weird. are coming up there. But yeah. yeah, people want to hear about Roanoke. Yeah, it's sort of... I knew in general there was a lost uh, colony and what it was called Roanoke. And when I researched it, yeah. there was just so many... The the the. the facts of it and all the different things that happened where I was like, God, this was made for our show. Yeah. Like yeah. The, that's, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I look, I look forward to doing this a year from now after another that's year of episodes. Right. So next time oh. we'll be getting sticky south of the border. Oh, <laughs> spring break. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> so as always, if you want to help us out, uh, best thing to do is to, erupt all over someone about our podcast <laughs> just tell them to listen to this is it i know i regret that that's like our prime minister saying uh to Talk avoid moistly. speaking on people moistly yeah. and talking moistly speaking moistly did you watch that press conference i saw that part of it you could you could see him like a it comes out of his mouth and he's like oh, <laughs> yeah. that's there's a better there's a better like, way to oh, say that's that that's so bad <laughs> anyway don't speak moistly on someone but Tell them to listen to our show. If you enjoyed it, then uh, be like, hey, I listened to this great new podcast called This Is a Disaster. If you didn't enjoy it, tell them, hey, I listened to this disaster called This Is a Disaster. You (laughs) should check it it out out, because maybe they'll enjoy it. (laughs) 
Next best thing you can do if you aren't already, subscribe wherever you listen and leave a review wherever you listen. Those are super helpful. I think Apple Podcasts is still the best place to help us get noticed. But honestly, anywhere you feel like telling someone what we're doing is worth listening to is fantastic. Yeah. Also, don't forget, get in touch. If you want to get in touch on our social medias at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I think mostly people get in touch through Instagram, but send us a note and we'll probably read it out in our listener feedback. Yeah. You can also find our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com. We're kind of building that out more and more, adding some features. I'm actually working right now on a bookshelf, which might be up and running by now. Right. Basically like a reading list of all the things that we talk about. So if you want to check those out, buy them and help us out, that would be super helpful. We, we live stream these recording sessions now for the major disasters for our patrons. And if you want to become a patron, you can do that at www.patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod. There's a bunch of things like you'll get bonus content like we referred to and you'll get access to these live streams. We also send you a sweet print. A little bit delayed right now because there's this little pandemic going around yeah. but we're uh we're working on shipping out the rest of those i think that's pretty much all i wanted to say lee that sounds great i think you said a lot of things and all of them were true thanks lee <laughs> <laughs> i contribute a lot to this podcast i'm glad to be a part of it <laughs> i look forward to your next major disaster okay. <laughs> okay well thanks for joining us and uh join us for our next major disaster bye, bye. thank you bye, bye.